It has been said that everyone ends up somewhere in life, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. Many people sadly just sort of drift through life. They do the things they're obligated to do. But they never feel they're living for a purpose that's bigger than themselves. I read something once that said most people live lives of quiet desperation. As I thought about that this week, I wondered if we, if we would say that this is what we imagine, the kind of life God has planned for us to live. Does that sound like the kind of life that Jesus died to give us? I mean, Jesus talked about having life and life more abundantly, just drifting through life and no great purpose and quiet desperation. Does that sound like an abundant life? I mean, you think about all that God has done to give us life. God has invested the life and the death of His Son in us. He sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to die a horrific death and to rise from the grave in three days so that our sins could be forgiven and we could have a relationship with Him. Once we receive Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit then comes to live within us. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is merely the down payment of all that God has promised to give us and to do in us and through us and for us. What an amazing investment God has made in our lives. Does it make sense that God would make such a hefty investment in us only to have us drift through lives, living with quiet desperation, not really having a purpose beyond the here and the now and ourselves? Well, it doesn't to me and it shouldn't to you. We all need to understand the investment that God has made in our lives and the way that investment equips us to serve Jesus and to make a difference in our church and in our community. So what we're going to talk about this morning. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 1 is where we're going to start. That should be on page 877 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. First Corinthians 12 and 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The title of the message this morning is The Gifted Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We come this morning with a desire to learn, a desire to understand what you have for us, a desire, Father, to to recognize the, the investment that you have made in our lives and to respond in a way that demonstrates that Jesus is Lord and that we are spirit-filled and spirit-led believers in Jesus Christ. 
Heavenly Father, today, open our hearts to receive Your Word. Father, let Your Holy Spirit come and and guide us to lay aside any cares of life that we may have brought in. Father, let Your Holy Spirit come and use Your Word like a hammer, Lord, that it would knock down any strongholds that we have erected, God, against the idea of spiritual gifts and serving You so that our every thought could be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. Help us, God, to leave here today certain Lord, that you have gifted us to serve you, that you have gifted us to make a difference in the world around us. And Lord, that we would leave here with a great desire to to know and to live in light of the gift that you have given us. Father, fill me today with your Holy Spirit and help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. Don't let me be in any way a hindrance to what you want done. Have your way in our hearts. Have your way in this service. Have your way in our lives. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. But you may be seated. Now, the key verse for us in in this section is verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And there are three main phrases in this verse that we need to understand when we talk about being a gifted church. The first is manifestation of the Spirit. The second is given to each one. And the final is for the profit of all. So let's take a few minutes and let's just understand these different phrases. The manifestation of... Of the Spirit. Now, let's be honest. That's just not a very free will Baptisty phrase, is it? I mean, that's just not wording that we use very often in our our circle. Yet here it is in Scripture, so we have to deal with it. We have to understand what it means. So, what is a manifestation of the Spirit? Well, the word manifestation it carries with it the idea of making something clear, or making it obvious, or making it known. And what's being made clear or made obvious or made known is the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer. There is a, a manifestation, a something that is making it clear, obvious and known that the Holy Spirit is working in the life of those who have believed in Jesus Christ. Right? And what, what it is that makes it clear, obvious and known that the Holy Spirit is working in the life of a believer are spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to believers. Now, a spiritual gift is a supernatural enabling of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of serving Jesus by serving others. Now, the word supernatural, don't let that throw you, but that's what it is. Supernatural means it's outside of ourselves. A supernatural enabling, a spiritual gift is not just something we are naturally good at. But a supernatural gift is something that the Holy Spirit gives to us. It is something He does in our lives. Right. So it is beyond us. Now, which believers are given spiritual gift? Manifestations of the spirit are given what to each one. Every believer in Jesus Christ is given at least one spiritual gift. Now, this is true for every believer in here this morning, whether you're six or sixty, seven or seventy, eight or eighty. The Holy Spirit has given you a spiritual gift. The moment that you repented of your sins and you believed in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit did a work in you that Jesus called being born again. He then came to dwell in your body, in within you, and he equipped you with a spiritual gift. It is a way that God equips us to be able to serve Jesus by serving others. And the idea of serving others is evident by the fact that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 
Right? The primary purpose of spiritual gifts is not, well, gifts are not given primarily for us. It is given for the benefit of others. Some translations say that they are given for the common good. Now, certainly, we experience blessings as we use our spiritual gift. However, they are primarily given to benefit for others. The idea behind profit of all is that it is for the the common good, but it is that they make a difference. When we use the gifts that the Spirit of God has given us in the way that He intends for us to use them, we make a difference. We make a difference in the lives of others. So what is it that we learn from verse 7? It's this. If I'm a believer, then this is true of me. I am supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in my church in my community. Again, don't let supernatural throw you because that's the idea. It's outside of ourselves. And I use church and community because spiritual gifts are, are a part of the, the body. We're going to look at the body in a minute. But there is an idea. It's not just me and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We go out there and we don't need anybody else. It's together. Jesus has equipped me. The Holy Spirit has equipped me to make a difference here in this group. And then out there among the world. Each believer is empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in their church and in their community. Today I'm going to show you four ways to maximize our ability to make a difference in our churches and in our community through the enabling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The first is we want to research spiritual gifts. chapter starts out with Paul saying, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now the word ignorant sounds harsh, um, but it simply means uninformed or unaware. In fact, many translations use one of those two words. I had never really given it much thought, uh, this passage much thought, until I started studying for the sermon today. But I, I would say that there are many who are unaware of many truths about spiritual gifts. Um, As I was studying this week, I I thought there's probably three primary ways that people are ignorant or unaware of spiritual gifts. Right? Many are just unaware of spiritual gifts. They're unaware that, that there is such a thing as a spiritual gift that is given to each one for the profit of others. This was me until my mid-twenties. I grew up in a free will Baptist church and, and I heard all about the importance of serving Jesus. But, but serving Jesus, it was never really clarified beyond come to church and pay your tithes and share the gospel and read the Bible and, and pray. The idea that the Spirit of God had done something within me as a believer that equipped me to make a difference in the world around me, it was foreign. I, I mean, I had never heard of anything like that before. I I distinctly remember the first time I heard about it. I was driving down the road listening to a Christian talk show. And a guy was being interviewed and he was explaining about his spiritual gifts and how he found his spiritual gifts. I had never... Now, I was young in the Lord. Um, I, I was young in living for the Lord anyway. And I had not read the Bible very well. 
But when he mentioned spiritual gifts, I don't know that I had ever heard those two words put together in my whole life. And I certainly had never heard the idea that there was one given to me. So there, there are many. Uh, chances are I am not the only person in the world who has had this problem. The idea that we just didn't know that there are gifts given to men to make a difference in the world around us. So that's one of the ways we can be unaware. But many are also unaware of personal spiritual gifts. Right? And with this, what I'm thinking of is, is maybe you know that there is a, such a thing as a spiritual gift, but the idea that there is one given to you, to each one for the profit of others. Now that, that's something I've never heard of. Again, I, I go back to my raising. And, and in my raising, basically, the idea of calling and giftedness, it revolved around the preacher, Right? You are called to preach and you're called to pastor or you're called to an evangelist or you're called to the mission field. But, but you, poor people, you're not called. You're not equipped. You're, your goal is to come to church and listen to what I have to say, but nothing really for you. And I'm afraid that that also is one of the ways that people are unaware of spiritual gifts. They, they limit it to the role of a preacher, a pastor, a missionary, or an evangelist. But as far as just regular folk... Well, no, the people in the pews, there's, there's nothing like that for us. We're unaware of the fact that there is a gift given to each one for the profit of others. And another way, it's just many may be unaware of how to use their spiritual gifts. But there are probably some who are aware that spiritual gifts exist. They may even be aware that spiritual gifts are given to each person and possibly even that they they may know what their spiritual gift is, but there's no concept, no clue how to use that spiritual gift. How, how do I use what God is doing in me and, and what God has equipped me to do? How, how do I use that? How do I serve Jesus by serving others in the way that God has gifted me? And these, I think, are primarily the main ways people are unaware of spiritual gifts. And in order to to overcome being unaware, in order to prevent ourselves from being ignorant of spiritual gifts, we must research them. Now, I am not recommending books on spiritual gifts. Instead, I am recommending the book of the Bible. Right? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is the best handbook there is to teach us about spiritual gifts. Now, there are a lot of books about spiritual gifts. I have, I think, four electronic books, and I may have one or two real books on spiritual gifts. But, before we get into something like that, it is important that we know what Scripture says about spiritual gifts. And the reason is, every book about spiritual gifts, everyone has their own mindset, their own idea about what it means. There's their own little take on each group of spiritual gifts, each thing that the Bible, what the Bible reveals. And whatever I read first 
is very likely to inform what I believe about spiritual gifts. And if I read a certain book, it could lead me to believe one thing that's really not biblical. If I read another thing, I could read something that, that leads me to believe that something doesn't exist when it should. Right? So what we want to do is rather than start with what does someone else said about spiritual gifts, we want to start with what has God said about spiritual gifts. Right? Because the Bible is given... To equip us, right? It's to teach us what's right, to teach us how to live, and to equip us to do everything God wants us to do. And among the things God wants us to do is to know our spiritual gifts and to use our spiritual gifts. So the best manual we can ever have on finding and using our spiritual gifts for the glory of God is the Bible. So when we want to start by researching spiritual gifts, we want to start with Scripture. Now, there are three good places to start with Scripture, to start with about spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Now, these are the primary places in the New Testament that teach us about spiritual gifts. In these chapters, we find out that there is such a thing as a spiritual gift. We find out that gifts are given to all we learn how to use our spiritual gifts. We get some idea of what the gifts may be. And so if we want to know, and we want to keep from being ignorant or unaware of spiritual gifts, we start in Scripture. We study, and we pray, and we listen to the Holy Spirit. That, that is the best thing we can possibly do. Now there are these things, and they're called spiritual gift inventory tests. And it's a series of questions. You go down through there and you answer them. And at the end, you go back and you tally up your results. And then based upon your answers to these questions, it gives you an idea of what your spiritual gift may be. You can even Google and there's some online that will tally it for you so you don't have to even do the math. And those aren't bad things. However, I don't know that they're, what, they're the best place to start. But for one... The guy that I initially heard teaching about spiritual gifts, he said he took one when he was a teenager. And the result was that his spiritual gift was that of a martyr. He said, great, a spiritual gift I only get to use once. Right? But he's a pastor and a preacher and an author. And he pastors pastors. I mean, nothing in his gift inventory test led him to where he actually is and what God has actually used him to do. Um, with me, I had been a pastor three or four years before I ever took a spiritual gift inventory test. Had I, when I first started seeking what God wanted to do in me and through me, what the Spirit was going to do, had I taken a spiritual gift inventory test, my personality at the time would have led me to answers that would not have led me to preacher and pastor. Those would not have been the primary gifts that would have been given because my personality wasn't one to get up and speak in front of people. That just wasn't who I was. Now, when I take them now, they typically say preacher and pastor, but they wouldn't have a few years before I came out here. So we, I don't think we want to start there. I think what we want to do is start in Scripture. We start with praying. We start with looking at these things and, and asking God, listen, the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts. He wants us 
to take what he has given us and to use it. The Holy Spirit speaks and he teaches and he leads. He is more than able to reveal to you what your spiritual gift is as you study Scripture and begin to seek the Lord in prayer and then listen and be open to what He has for you. Trust more in the Word and the Spirit than in another person. Trust more in the Word and the Spirit than in an author who writes a book. The Lord Himself will show you what your giftedness is in. You and I, we are supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our church, in our community. So we must research what Scripture says about this and seek God's guidance for our spiritual gifts and how to use it. Secondly, realize the variety of spiritual gifts. One thing you're going to notice is we don't have time to cover everything in chapters 12 through 14. We're just hitting some highlights. Realize the variety of spiritual gifts. I mentioned earlier that many times the idea is communicated, certainly unintentionally, that spiritual gifts are largely related to speaking gifts, preaching, teaching, uh, evangelism, missionary type stuff. And that's all that the gifts that there are. But that's simply not true. Now, that's good news. It's good news for those who aren't gifted in teaching, preaching or evangelism or some sort of a speaking type thing. Right. There are all kinds of spiritual gifts listed in Scripture. And that's what it tells us in verses four through six. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. Right? Each one of those verses teaches us a truth about the diversity of spiritual gifts. Right? First is, there are many different gifts. Right? There, is, there are diversities of gifts. But it's the same spirit, right? So there's a whole whole slew of spiritual gifts listed in Scripture. But it is the same Holy Spirit that gives each one. Right? I mentioned the passages that I mentioned earlier give us all kinds of lists, like in Romans 12. Right? Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation or encouragement, generosity, leadership and mercy. Right? That's, that's in Romans 12, gifts that are given there. But that's different from what you see in 1 Peter 4 that primarily focuses on speaking and ministry. But what you see in 1 Peter 4 is different than what we see in 1 Corinthians 12, which speaks of words of wisdom and words of knowledge and faith and gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecies, determining of spirits, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, helps and administrations. Now, these are just the gifts that are explicitly mentioned in Scripture. This doesn't even take into account Some spiritual gifts are more implicitly taught in Scripture. One of my books on spiritual gifts, it says that when you take the gifts that are explicitly mentioned and the ones that are implicitly taught, there are around 27 different gifts taught in Scripture. And I think just in Scripture, I think that's probably pretty accurate. There are a great diversity. Now, each one of these lists is different. Now, there are some overlap, but by and large, they're different. I I don't know that even the lists that are given are exhaustive in all of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit can give to help us make a difference in our churches and our community. I think the many lists are given to show us there is a wide range of gifts. There there are enough gifts that we're not all going to have the same one. 
there are enough gifts that we're not all going to be gifted in the same way. It's going to be different, and that's the way it's supposed to be. We'll see that again in a second. But not only is there a diversity of gifts, there are many ways to use these gifts. And there are, div- there are differences of ministries. Right? The idea of differences of ministries is different ways to use the gift. You know, two people can have the exact same gift, but use it in different ways. I'll give you an example. I'll use preaching as an example. You guys all know Bob Thomas, right? Bob Thomas is gifted in preaching and teaching. My primary gift would be in preaching and teaching. But we don't preach the same way, do we? Right? And that's okay. It's okay that we preach differently. In fact, if you listen to preachers on the radio, if you listen to ten different preachers, you'll likely find that they preach in, in ten different ways. I don't know anyone who preaches just like me. And I don't know anyone who preaches just like Bobby Lee. And I don't know anyone who preaches just like any other preacher I know. We all have differences of of backgrounds and personalities and experiences in, in whatever, whoever we are. And those differences are going to come out in how we all use our spiritual gift. But whatever spiritual gift God has given to you, you are going to use it from someone else you know who has that same gift because you're a different person and you have a different personality and you're at a different place in your life than they are and you're at a different spiritual maturity level and you you have gone through different things and you've seen different things and, and all of that filters in spiritual gifts. They don't make us clones of one another. We're still us. Our personality Our our likes, our dislikes, our experiences, they all work through in our spiritual gifts. And so they're going to be used slightly differently. And that's okay. No two people have to use their gift in the same way. Look at what it says. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. When I preach the way I preach, I am doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. When Bob Thomas preaches the way he preaches, he is doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jack Peck preaches the way he preaches, he is doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. There are differences of ministries, but we are all serving the same Lord. So those differences are okay. Then, there are many ways that God uses these gifts. And there are differences of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all, the idea of differences of act, or diversities of activities, but the same God that works through them is that God works through each individual gift in, in really somewhat of a unique way to accomplish what it is he wants to accomplish. And I'll use preaching again. Think about Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a preacher. What was the primary thing that God did through Billy Graham's preaching? Was it start churches? Was it disciple new believers? Was it send missionaries overseas? No, it was win the lost to Christ. But the primary way God worked through Billy Graham was to bring people to Jesus. But that's not the way God works through every single preacher, is to bring large numbers of people to Jesus. There's a preacher I listen to once a week or so, and, and when I listen to him, I feel encouraged. I mean, I'm just reminded that God is enormous and awesome and that God can do anything. 
And I'm ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. And then there's another preacher that I listen to. And when I listen to him, I always think, man, I did not know that about the Bible. I mean, I learn something new about familiar passages every time I listen to that guy. And then another guy. Man, he, he challenges me to trust Jesus more, to do hard things more, to live more fully for Jesus, to deny myself more, to take up my cross more, to follow Jesus more. They all have the same gift. Now, they're using them in the different ways that, that, that resounds with their personality. But in each one, God is using them to do something different in my life. And almost certainly in the lives of those who hear them as well. God uses the same gift to accomplish a different result. And it'll be the same with whatever gift God has given you. You are given a specific gift from the Holy Spirit. And you will use that gift in a way that is somewhat unique to you based upon your personality, your experiences, your maturity level, and just who you are. And then God will work through your individual use of that gift and He will do something through you that is also unique to what His plans are for your life and what good things, Ephesians 10 says, He has placed you here to fulfill. And that's all good because it is all, it was God who worked through Billy Graham to call people to Jesus. It's God who works through David Platt to challenge me in my faith. It's God who works through these other guys to do these other things. It's God who works to do. And it'll be God who works through you to do something unique through you as you use the gift the Holy Spirit has given you. You and I, we are supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our church and in our community. So we must realize the great variety there is in spiritual gift and use our gifts, not like anyone else. Not try to conform to anyone else's plan or how they are. But use our unique gift in the unique way that we are so that God can do the unique thing He's going to do through our lives. Thirdly, we want to research spiritual gifts. We want to realize the variety of spiritual gifts. Thirdly, we want to recognize the necessity of spiritual gifts. Look at verse 14. That's where we're going to be. Chapter 12. One of the issues they were having in Corinth was that those who had the spiritual gifts that put them in front, they felt more important than those who had gifts that didn't put them up front. They began to be prideful and arrogant and basically act like jerks about the thing. Now, the result of this was that those whose spiritual gifts didn't put them up in front of people, they began to feel inadequate. They began to feel unimportant. And a further result of this, that those who felt inadequate and unimportant, some of those who felt inadequate and unimportant, started acting as though they had the gifts. That put them up front. They began to say, well, I feel that the Lord has called me to do this because they wanted to be up front because they wanted to feel important. And it was causing chaos and strife within the church. So in verses 14 through 21, Paul begins to set them straight by comparing the church to a body to show that every gift, every single gift 
And thus every person is necessary to the church so that it can be what God intends for it to be. Paul says, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body, is, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? And if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one in them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members and yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, there's two primary truths that we learn about the necessity of each gift. Right? The first is that each gift is necessary. While the, the foot is not a hand, it's still necessary for the body to be healthy and be able to do all that the body is supposed to do. Right? The ear may not be able to see, but hearing is actually pretty important. Now, I think Paul's words of verse 17 are kind of humorous. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would the smelling? Right? The, the entire body was an ear. Well, that would be pretty useless. Think of all the things you couldn't do if all you could do was hear. If the whole body was an eye, that would be pretty useless. Because think of all the things you couldn't do if all you could do was see. The point is that even though the members of the body are different, those different parts perform different and necessary functions. And it's the same with spiritual gifts. Just because those with the gift of helps don't end up in front of the, in front of people and they don't preach, well, that doesn't mean they're not important. That doesn't mean they're not necessary. If the whole church was preachers, who would do the other stuff that needs to be done? If everybody in the church had the gift of helps, they would be the one to do the preaching. I mean, it takes. All of us to do all the things that are necessary. And I like that he compares it to a body. If you've ever damaged yourself in some way, you know that that hurt body part hinders everything else. Right? When you have a hurt knee, there are certain things you can't do. It hinders everything that the body is meant to do and should be able to do. Each gift is needed. In order for the body to be able to do everything that God intends for it to do. Secondly, each gift is given as God wills. But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body? But now, indeed, there are many members and yet one body. God designed our human bodies. He put the hands where they needed to be and he put the feet where they needed to be. Friday, as I was typing the message up, I thought how terribly inconvenient it would be if my hands were where my feet are now. God designed the body the way that he knew was best to accomplish what he wanted us to do. And it's the same with the church. God knows what each church needs to be able to do what he wants it to do in the community that he has placed it. So he gives gifts. That are needed 
to make that body be able to do what it is he wants it to do. He knows what gifts are best. He knows what gifts are needed. He knows who can best use those gifts for his glory, for the advancement of the gospel, to impact the church and to impact the community. So he gives us the gifts that we are best able to use for his glory. Right, look at verse 11. But the one and same spirit works all of these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. That is super important verse. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts individually as he wills. And what that means is spiritual gifts are not given at random. In the army, when you go to a school, on the first day of the school, you're typically assigned a number or a partner or both. And they do it by, to get a number, they have a big box. And you walk up there and they hand you something out of it. Boom, boom, boom. And it may go number 1, 143, 2, 11, 300. I mean, there's no, no order to it. It's just they grab the number and they hand it to you. When they give you a partner, they go one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Ones get together, twos get together. Right? There's no order to it. It's just a random chance. The number you get and the partner you get. Spiritual gifts aren't like that. The Holy Spirit, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit doesn't just go grab in a box and go, boom, I'll put that on them. Instead, the Holy Spirit looks at us. He sees who we are. He sees our our natural abilities. He sees our personality, our experiences, the level of maturity we're going to be at, what He can do in us and through us and for us. And then He chooses something specific to us. Right? So whatever spiritual gift you have, it's not just a random thing that fell upon you when you believed in Jesus. The Spirit of the living God intentionally chose that gift for you. That's awesome. That is an amazing thing to think about, that we were chosen individually and we were given gifts that the Almighty God knew we could best use for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Now earlier in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1, verses 4-7, through Paul tells the church that they have been enriched with every gift they needed to be able to do all that he wanted done in the city of Corinth. In fact, he goes so far as to say they come short in no gift. Now, I'm convinced that what was true in Corinth is true for most churches. For most churches, there is no lack of people gifted to do what needs to be done to make a difference in the church and in the community. Instead, there is a lack of gifted people willing to do what needs to be done to make a difference in the church and in the community. And the result is that the whole body suffers. If you ever had a broken arm or a gimpy knee or thrown your back out, it affected everything that you did. It's the same with the church. When someone who is a part of a church, part of the body, doesn't do what they've been equipped and gifted to do, it hinders everything else the church tries to do. It does one of two things, guaranteed. One is it makes it harder on everyone else. Not very often, someone still has to do what God has gifted you to do. 
And so what that means is that they either have to stop doing what they're gifted to do in order to take up the slack that you're not doing, or they have to double up. And either way, you not doing what God has gifted you to do, it makes it harder on everyone else. Secondly, something important does not get done. So we've seen every gift is necessary for the body to be all that God intends for it to be. Every gift is given by the Holy Spirit to a specific person for a specific task. And spiritual gifts, they're not incidental. I mean, the stuff that the church does, the stuff that we do as a body, man, it's important. Souls are saved. Lives are changed. Marriages are restored. Prodigals are returned. Captives are set free. The brokenhearted are healed. This is what the church does. And when something of those things cannot get done, that's important. Something eternally significant is falling through the cracks. And if I were going to be a meddling, dramatic preacher, I would say, people go to hell when we don't use our gifts the way that God intended for us to do. But I'm not trying to be a dramatic, meddling preacher today, so I won't say that. But every gift is important. Within this room, within this body, there is every gift that this church needs to do everything God wants us to do in our community. I mean, we always say, well, we'd love more people to come. We sure would. And we'd love to see more people saved. Absolutely. But more people won't fix what we won't do. Whatever it is we're supposed to do from God right now, there are enough of us already that are gifted to do it. And if it's not being done, it's not because we need more. It's because some gifted people are not using their gifts as they're supposed to. You and I, we are supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our church and in our community. Realize how necessary and how important and how significant your spiritual gift is. We research spiritual gifts. We realize the variety of spiritual gifts. Recognize the necessity of all spiritual gifts. And then finally, remember that love must guide spiritual gifts. Look at chapter 12 and verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts, yet I show you a more excellent way. The church at Corinth was fighting over their spiritual gifts. It was causing division. And Paul says it's good to desire spiritual gifts. Desire them. Seek them. But there's something that's more excellent than that. Something that will make that that will fix the most of the problems you have in the church. And it is love. That chapter 13, we call that the love chapter because of how Paul focuses on love. And we often use this about romantic love and about at Valentine's Day. And to be sure, that's an accurate application. But chapter 12 is put between, or chapter 13 is put between 12 on spiritual gifts and 14 on spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 is given to show us how we use our spiritual gifts. 
We are to use our gifts in love. Love is to guide all that we do and how we use our spiritual gifts. In fact, love is so important to the proper use of our spiritual gifts that our spiritual gifts are rendered meaningless, useless, and worthless without it. Look at verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging symbol. You have the gift of tongues. You have the gift of prophecy, of preaching, teaching. If you don't love, it don't matter. You're just making noise. You're just Charlie Brown's teacher. When there is no love. No matter how eloquent you can speak or what gifting you have regarding your speech, it is useless. It is meaningless noise. Verse 2. No, I have the gift of prophecy and I understand the, all mysteries and all knowledge. And I have faith that I could move mountains. But I have not love. I am nothing. If you have the gift that you know the deep mysteries of God, you have faith that you could move mountains, which, by the way, I would say both of those are fairly significant, don't you? But you don't love. And that doesn't, you don't exercise those gifts in love. Now, notice what he says I am nothing. Right? It, it renders us useless for the kingdom. Right, because we could, I think, take chapter, verse 2 and apply that to good theology. You understand sound theology. You can explain the gospel and Jesus and the Bible. And you know what's right. But love doesn't guide how you are and how you communicate that. You're useless to the kingdom. I can think of any number of people I know have good theology they do more harm than good because they're jerks in the way they communicate things. They, they are useless for the kingdom. Not because they don't know the Bible, but because they just don't love people. Verse 3. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. you got the gift of generosity. Though I give my body to be burned. Oh, there's the gift of martyrdom has come into account. But I have not love. Profits me. It benefits me. Nothing. You know, the Bible speaks about rewards that we receive in heaven, right? And generosity is often one of the ways that we receive rewards. Remember Jesus calling on the rich young ruler to sell all that he had to give to the poor and then come follow me and you will have received rewards in heaven, riches in heaven. If you sell all that you have and you give it to the poor, but love isn't what motivated you, there's no rewards waiting on you in heaven for that. Jesus talked about suffering for his sake and, and that as we suffer, that there are rewards waiting on us in heaven because of that. But if I don't suffer for Jesus because I love people, Jesus and people both, then that suffering, even though it's death, benefits me nothing. There's no rewards waiting on me in heaven because of even though I've done these things. Now, I'll be honest, that, that's all significant. 
I know the idea of loving people and letting that guide us is often lost in, in sadly, Baptist-type churches. It's often associated with liberals and what with the term snowflakes nowadays. That's wrong. Believers in Jesus Christ, we're not known by how loud we can yell. At least we're not supposed to be. What did Jesus say would, would mark us as His disciples? Our love, one for another. Apparently He meant that. No matter how gifted we are, and how faithfully we use them, if love doesn't guide what we do, it's a waste of time. It doesn't help the kingdom. It doesn't bring glory to God. It doesn't set rewards for us in heaven. You and I, we are supernaturally gifted by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our church and in our community. But we have to let love guide our use of spiritual gifts. And I hope we would all say, that we want to experience the Holy Spirit supernaturally empowering us to make a difference in our church and in our community. But are we willing to do what needs to be done for this to happen? Are we willing to search the Scriptures to see what it says about spiritual gifts? Are we willing to take the time to seek the Lord and ask Him to reveal to us what our spiritual gift might be? Are we willing to submit to God in whatever His gifting might be, even if it's one that may seem unimportant to the world at large, that may never put us up in front of people, or if it is one that puts us up in front of people, no matter how uncomfortable that makes us? Are we willing to submit to God's design on our lives, no matter what that may be? Are we willing to use our spiritual gift in the way that He wants us to use it when He wants us to use it. A lot of people claim they want to experience the Holy Spirit supernaturally empowering them to make a difference in their church and their community. But few do. Because few are willing to put forth the effort necessary. Are you one of the few who will? Will you put forth the effort necessary? Significant things hang in the balance on how we answer that.